Hello and welcome to this shifting moment. This is a podcast and a conversation in which we are seeking a profound change in the way that we react to things. We're seeking a shift in perspective and that's something that we wish to do collaboratively with you. And so with that, my name is Josh and we wanna welcome you again to this shifting moment. Well, I, mean, I definitely have some opinions about it. <laughs> Maybe it may not rub everybody the right way, and oh, please, and, and that's fine. Um, I I don't really consider um, being open on social media as being vulnerable. Um, hmm. I don't know that I would say that. Um, I think that we're just, in, in some ways, it, it's kind of a needs for attention, you know, and it's. It's almost like an ego proposition of look at me, you know, and um, there might be incidences where it's not. um, But I think we have to look at each situation individually. And I think that we can blanketly say that when I'm sharing my feelings on a a Facebook post, that it's being vulnerable. I think um, we might be being honest about what's going on, but I think we have to look at vulnerability in the context of healing. Um, because if I'm being vulnerable as a process of healing, then it takes on a different sensibility. And, uh, and then we have to also take a look at what healing is. What, what really is healing? Am I fixing something? Am I getting over the hump? Am I put a, putting a Band-Aid on? Because healing is, is a lifetime journey. It's learning to carry our pain. It's learning to carry our, 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 the difficult moments. It's learning to carry our grief and our, and our uh, lack of uh, sense of self, our, our insufficiency. Hmm. And um, that's, a longer term, that's a longer term goal. And uh, yeah. so if we're just sharing something on, on Facebook and being open with and telling the truth about what's going on, I don't know that that's really being vulnerable. I mean, somebody might have a, else might have a different opinion, and maybe there are instances where there's a vulnerability going on. But I shared, I, I saw a Facebook post last night on my feed, and it was a guy who um, has struggled with relapse many, many times and had horrible, horrible things happen to him that most of us would look at and go, oh, my God. This guy's still out there doing, really? And, still standing. Yeah, still standing. Yeah. And he, he shared that he was in a hotel room in, in Hollywood, and he felt like nobody was there for him, and he didn't know what to do, and he was using. And, oh, wow. and um, I think he might have been clean and sober for a couple of years. I'm not real sure. But um, I don't consider that being vulnerable. Hmm. You, would, it, would that just he's be just, like a, he's a cry just for being, help? He, it's a cry for help. And he's being, yeah, he's being yeah. open and honest about what his experience is. There's nothing wrong with it. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. But being mm. vulnerable to me is sitting in front of somebody and um, being honest with somebody about, about your pain um, and letting them know that, you're, um, that it's hard for you to tell the truth. I find a lot of um, 
a lot of people don't want to talk about their loneliness. Hmm. To me, vulnerability is something that you're willing to share that you don't want to share, that you don't want people to know. That's right. And uh, I was talking to a client earlier today, and um, they were talking to me about um, boredom, apathy, hopelessness, and loneliness. And they, um, they didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. And I said, those are the things that we need to talk about because those are the things that we all feel. And if you, don't, if you don't address them now and talk about them, they'll continue to come up. The more we own them, the more we can begin to find some commonality with our fellows. Um, I, I experience yeah. those. Nobody's immune for that, from them. I don't care what kind of spiritual work that you do. Nobody's mm. ever going to go without having moments of loneliness and boredom mm. and restlessness and apathy and what's the use. And so to me, that's the vulnerability and being really honest. And I think it also creates, it creates, um, uh, it opens the door um, for um, other people to be vulnerable. When we're, when we're being vulnerable in such a way that it allows other people to open up about experiences that they might be afraid to let other people know about. Um, that's, to me, I think that's where the real gift of, of uh, vulnerability comes from. And that's where the beginning of healing can start to happen is because mm. we're giving um, our, our, our willingness to be vulnerable has a deeper meaning to it. And it opens yeah. the door to compassion. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's raising your hand in a lot yeah. of ways. Like it, it's that moment when you're in class and you're so scared to ask the question because you think it's going to be a dumb mm -hmm. question and someone else raises their hand and asks the same exact question mm -hmm. and you feel this like, oh, thank goodness mm -hmm. someone asked mm -hmm. it, right? Like it's, it's unlocking the ability to, uh, to be validated in those feelings and, 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 and to create, create yeah, a sense I, of understanding, you know, I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think under just basically so that we're capable of having some sense of mutual understanding, mm. mutual awareness. And I think, um, I, see, I, I don't even, I don't think vulnerability is necessarily even just owning what's uncomfortable. It's, it's, being it's being laid bare basically yeah. it's being laid bare it's it's allowing ourselves to be open to um with our our, our deeper pain I mean, in a lot of in a lot of ways pain that we can't even acknowledge and this is to run again ronald rollheiser talks about these this is where great intimacy happens um mm -hmm. vul vulnerability is 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 um is a door opening to great intimacy, yeah. great, greater I, depth. I love the uh, the metaphor of the door. Um, I had a my church that I pastored for um, a number of years. We met in this sort of um, just very like very industrial neighborhood in Santa Monica, um, bordering on West LA, and right down the street from one of the biggest 
uh, homeless shelters in all of Los Angeles, the Sam O'Shell, which is like right off the 10 freeway. If you're in LA, you're driving to the beach, you'll, you'll see this big white tent off to the right. And it's kind of the only gig in town for homeless services in a space that has like, you know, one of the biggest homeless populations in the country. And, uh, we're right down the street, right? We're right down the street. And I remember so vividly, we had this huge garage door that would open. We were in like this, you know, kind of cool warehouse space. And, uh, we had this huge garage door you could open up and we had a front door. So the front door is just a regular door. And then you have this huge garage door. When you open the huge garage door, this light pours in, there's like bushes. It's beautiful. Flowers would bloom in spring and stuff. And we do like barbecues out there and this little side yard thing that it opened up to. Um, but after a while we had these, these volunteers who would just shut that door. And, uh, and I noticed it during the service, there's nothing I could really do about it. And then I kind of came out one day and I was like, why are we shutting the, the door now? Like, what's, what's that about? And my volunteers were like, oh, well, if we open the door, you know, I mean, anybody could walk in. <laughs> I just had to stand there for a second. Like, hold up, hold up. What you're saying is if we open the door, anybody can walk in. And, and I, they're like, yeah. And I was like, our like tagline is we're a church for everybody no matter exactly. what that's like our deal so we need to open that door simply because you just said that and we did we got people from all walks of life and but that really is what a picture of vulnerability right anybody could walk in like what happens if you know the 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 person finds out this part of me that I just need to put on a pretty face and be confident and all of that about what if they actually find out that I'm broken in this way or what if they actually find out that I'm, I don't have it all together, right? Like that, the big fear that, that I could possibly be human and that someone might see it. And I, I just think about the relationships I had as a kid and the relationships I, I now form as an adult, it takes so much. The on-ramp for adult relationships is so, so long because we have so much more that we believe we can't come out with or share or, or be real about. When you're a kid, you know, that stuff comes out on the playground or it's in a, you know, you're, you're doing a, a sleepover at a friend's house and all of a sudden... It's three in the morning, you're hyped up on sugar, and you're talking about the deepest and darkest parts of you, which at that point are probably not that dark, hopefully, maybe they are, but you're you're laying that stuff out because it's you just talk about it. It's inevitable. And now it's so much harder to be to be real because we we think we're gonna lose people, right? Like if if I share this part of myself, I'm gonna lose you. Um, and the great paradox is most of the time that's what actually causes real real deal relationship. Exactly. So there's, there's like an inherent fear that happens with our vulnerability because we're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of being, uh, laid bare basically, even, even the door in the church, you know, people are afraid that people are going to, um, invade their, their space, you know? Uh, we had a guy, just a beautiful, beautiful man um, who I love dearly. and was actually a very, uh, still a, a close friend, but um, he was experiencing homelessness at the time. Um, he was actually living in San Michelle and, and he invited this guy in. Um, and the guy was, you know, just kind of erratic or whatever. And then <laughs> the guy I knew came up to me and he was like, oh yeah, uh, so just, just, you know, like he's, he's on meth right now. And I was like, oh, 
okay, cool. I'm just, you know, this is before I hit into recovery and, you know, encountered anybody on drugs <laughs> besides being, you know, belligerently drunk or whatever. But um, the guy was, it was the biggest, uh, you know, test of my sermon abilities because the guy was screaming things out as I was uh, speaking. But I, and I got so scared at the end. And I just wonder why I'm using all these church metaphors today. But I got so scared at the end that like, oh my goodness, like people are going to be so mad at me. And everybody came up afterwards. I was like, I'm so glad that guy was here. How cool was it that that guy was here? And he was interrupting, you know, the entire flow, which I thought like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a nightmare PR wise, the comment cards that I'm going to get the, right. <laughs> you know, the, the church ladies that are going to come and scream at me and none of it. They're just like, oh my goodness. And I think that's like, that's the unifying thing about vulnerability when someone is brave enough to raise their hand or to, to be themselves we there's there's just a part of us that cheers for that um and i don't know why we can't connect the dots between that cheering part and the you know how hard it is to actually do it personally well i think it's the fear i think it's the fear that comes in in between we're i I mean we're and i think that happens in our western world today we're so afraid of judgment and even self-judgment you know we I think there's this inherent lack of a sense of wholeness that we that we carry sometimes, and so we're afraid that people might confirm that we're incomplete or inadequate in some way. And I think that vulnerability opens us up to feeling that sense of imperfection, that sense of brokenness, that sense that something's something's wrong with me, and I don't want people to know. People want to fit in. They want to feel accepted. Yeah. Well, and they want, I think it's control too, mm-hmm. right? Like a, a huge part yeah, of this. Yeah, fear is of not being in control, fear the, of losing control. And the absolute addiction to yeah. control, yeah. right? Like if I can't control everything, God forbid. Heaven forbid and, somebody and, should and, see the real me. But th- little do we know that by showing the real me, very often we can uh, open to deeper connection with people. Yeah, yeah. I'm... You know, I th- yeah, yeah, I'm reading a lot of Henry Nowen right now, as I've told you, and we've had discussions about, and um, just amazing, amazing stuff. And I'm reading The Life of the Beloved right now, which is kind of his, I guess, magnum opus or whatever. It's like the, you know, the thing that people go for. And, um, ah, oh, just the, <laughs> I, it took, and it's amazing. I've grown up around this idea and stuff, but it really took the simple language that he puts it in to just kind of say, like, I, I think at the core of all of us, the, the, the avoidance of true vulnerability, which was what we're talking about, which is really kind of laying bare the stuff, like you said, like just laying it all out there. It comes from the lack of understanding that like deep down, what we're really scared of is the knowledge that for some reason, like we're not loved. Like right. for some reason that I, my love the love that people have for me, the love that God has for me, the love the universe has for me, whatever you want to call that, is somehow conditional upon how I perform in the world and how I look. Exactly. So I'm not lovable. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're lovable. It's conditional love, right? It's and, yeah. and we're taught that in, you know, unfortunate ways from childhood on, which could be in school, it could be in your home, it could be anywhere that Love is somehow conditional upon the grades you get, the way you perform, mm-hmm. the money in your bank account, your job title. I'm I'm loved only because of these things. And if I lose these things, I lose all ability to be loved in the world. And and I think true vulnerability 
is testing that line of going like i i'm willing to risk my fears of not being loved by putting this out there which we always sort of find you may lose the attention of some people you won't lose love like if it's just if the people you're going to lose attention from are not the people who are actually loving you in the first place those are the people that are giving you their conditional attention (laughs) based upon some service you provide for them right which may just be a performance thing in your own head but when you're vulnerable and it's scary it's probably scary because you may lose attention like you may lose some of those people that are just there for the show and to that i say good riddance (laughs) i well, I think, and I think, in in a way, it comes back to the values. If if I'm if I'm if I know who I am in certain situations, and circum and circumstance, if I have a sense of myself that has something that's genuine in a certain way, um, I'm probably going to be a little bit more likely to be honest and vul- open and vulnerable, because it doesn't it doesn't pull pull into question. Um, my sense of myself, my val, my own personal value. I know who I am. People, I think people who know who they are are a little bit more, might be a little bit more likely to to kind of lay themselves bare, because it doesn't change the inherent who I am. Well, those are the people I that th- truly know that their meaning and purpose is tied to living out that truth unconditionally, yeah, like yeah. like. Like we and talked Henry about. Newman was yeah. a, Henry Newman is a perfect example of that. If you look at his writings, and um, he he laid himself completely open. He talked about his pain. He talked about his struggles. He talked about his self doubt. He talked about his inadequacy and feeling not enough, and feeling like he didn't have, you know, enough to offer that he wasn't a good human being, and he, he laid it open and bare. And it's one of the reasons that I think his stuff, his work has had uh, longevity, you know, and I think it, it resonates with um, all areas of, um, you know, it's funny, one of my, one of my clients who's a, who's a Buddhist author, um, he quotes a lot of Henry Newman. Um, and, and it's, it's really powerful. His, his work, his writing has crossed all spiritual, um, all spiritual uh, avenues and appeals to a lot of people. And I think a lot of it is because of his willingness to be vulnerable and open. And I think he's given other people permission to do the same thing. I think you find that in some of the great singer-songwriters and some of the great um, uh, poets. I think you, you find a lot of people who are really willing to tap into that, that sensibility. I, I think a great actor um, would have to have access to that too. We have to kind of pull back the, the layers, the masks, and get in touch with some of the, um, uh, some of the, the darkness from within and, and be able to access it. So again, it's, it's, I think that vulnerable sensibility is it's really a reflection of how we're capable of carrying our pain. It's not about just discarding the pain. <laughs> and no, it not, isn't about getting rid of and it. And I think that's where I mean, that it, line of like faux vulnerability and real vulnerability exists is for, for those that are truly being vulnerable, it, I, the need is that we need 
some sort of way to carry that pain and we're looking for how do I carry it rather than how do I get rid of it and and faux vulnerability speaks to like I'm going to put this out there so I don't have to deal with it but I want attention I want attention I want to hear people you know <laughs> hear me roar that kind of thing well I think I think it's a lot easier to carry your pain if we can begin to um see the meaning and purpose in it if it it has meaning and purpose i mean a great singer songwriter will carry that pain because they know they'll be able to translate it into a into a meaningful lyric a great author like henry would be able to carry that pain doesn't mean it's any less painful it means that we understand that i'm carrying it for the express purpose of um helping other people um access and be open to their difficulties mm. and challenges. Yeah, that's, and it opened again, it opens the door to compassion. What a wonderful way for all of us to try and live our lives, right? It's not just for the singer songwriters or the authors or poets. I mean, we can all live that where it's like, oh, you know what? Instead of this being some just this devastating, awful thing, I'm gonna choose to carry it so that I can use it later. Like I Exactly. Yeah. Like a parent talking to their child. Yeah. You know, and 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 being open about, you know, what? Wow, I, you know, I understand the pain that you're dealing with. This is what I had to do when I was a child, or you know, open to a a, a new lover or a partner about some of the experiences they've had that were really uncomfortable that they might be afraid to share. But it pulls people in. People connect um, through those moments. Well, I think it's and it's in that it's in that ability to be brave enough to you know, say, I'm going to use this and, and, and use it, which is sometimes the most painful thing that we got to admit, like, you know, I've been through that too, which isn't it. When it, when I, when my life hit the ground, (laughs) I was shocked, uh, to find out how many people had dealt with the same thing. Like they came out of the woodwork. It was, and, and people that I'd known for years and had never shared it. What I, I almost thought like, what a tragedy that I didn't, know this before or that you know this is something that we have to like sort of lurk around in the shadows to talk about um it's yeah it's because it's healing when we get it out there when Mm -hmm. we actually and it it allows us to begin to poke holes in in this perfectionist ideology this perfectionist thinking that people will only love me if i'm perfect you know and and but but the fact of the matter is is that's not the truth you know, we're when we pretend that things are easy for us and they're not difficult for us, it's it's not really true. We're being ingenuine. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, that per- perfectionism is the death of all joy. <laughs> if you really look at, I'm a I'm a terrifying perfectionist, and for so long, that just kept me grounded like not grounded in a good way like grounded as in like you're going to your room and you're not leaving like it just the fear of not not being not perfect being, not, not just, having it look the certain yeah, way or it wasn't even maybe it was like looked a certain way but I think the biggest thing that I struggled with was anything I put out in the world needs to be perfect so any work I do needs to be perfect I I mean mine was very deeply seated I used to just not hand in homework assignments if they weren't perfect I do the whole thing <laughs> wouldn't hand in that this is like fourth grade or whatever but I would keep them in a backpack or keep them in my desk and I wouldn't hand in the assignment and the teacher would go what where's your homework and I go oh I didn't do it like just I, because I didn't think it was gonna be it wow. was that until one day 
<laughs> this is the most awful childhood story I have. One day, this teacher's name was Miss Dew. She was a nun and a police officer before she was a teacher. <laughs> she was a hard-ass teacher. And she would do these things called earthquakes if your desk was messy. So my desk was always messy because I may have been a perfectionist on the outside, but everything inside is messy. And she took the desks, if they were messy, and would shake them out in the center of the classroom when you were at recess and you'd come back in and there had been an earthquake and your stuff was all over the ground. And this happened to me <laughs> once, like halfway through the year, and all of those homework assignments were on the ground, done, completed. And like the whole class was there to see, <laughs> and they did a wow. conference with my parents, everything, and then it just you know never never admitted to the fact that it was because I I guess at that age you really don't know, but um you know deep down it was that's kind of, that's kind of shaming oh, was, right oh, man I think yeah there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot in that um I once had a conversation with a guy who was a uh, he's an author and he wrote a book called Feck Perfection it's one of my favorite books. And I got a chance to talk to him once and I actually gave him that story. And I was like, have you ever seen anybody like who struggle with perfectionism that deeply? And he just looked at me and he was like, yeah, you're not special. <laughs> it was deeply <laughs> healing for me to go, oh, okay, it's, yeah, no, no, I'm not. It's, it's funny. When I first got sober, um, I was, you know, I was playing in, my, in a rock and roll band and, um, and I just, I knew I couldn't, I knew I had to change something up, you know, that I was not going to be able to do the same things I'd always done. And I loved playing music. It was everything to me. And so I really knew that I couldn't stay sober and not play music. It was really open my heart. And so I worked really hard at learning to play guitar and, and learning to sing. And I remember um, I convinced myself that I needed to be, I needed to start writing my own songs. And I was around all kinds of great singer-songwriters who'd been gotten awarded and some of the greats. And uh, I was so afraid to write a song that it would that it would be horrible and that I wouldn't want to show anybody. And so I remember one of the ways for me to work through that was I gave, my, I gave myself permission to write the biggest piece of crap that I could possibly write. And, and uh, I remember telling my brother about it and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to let my songs be horrible. I'm just going to let them be terrible, but, um, but I, it's not going to stop me from writing them. And I, I tell you, I look back on those songs and it was, it really gave me a sense of, of freedom. And, um, and I think in, in a way it was my being vulnerable to some of the fear that I had around around writing and and comparing myself to other people and it was it was so freeing for me and I do this sometimes with my clients is you know let it let it be horrible let it be terrible give it permission to be the hor biggest piece of crap ever and um, and I did that for several years and wrote a lot of songs and and, and then I started eventually started feeling really good about what I was writing it kind of changed my perspective but I had to open the door and feel that freedom um, of uh, not letting the judgment of other people stop me from doing things that were really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, I, I think that the, the biggest thing in all sort of creative endeavors and this, again, this isn't just for creatives. This is for anything that you do, you are creative in. Like if you were working in mm -hmm. finance, you are deeply creative and you're creative in ways that I will never understand. <laughs> but on the, if you're cleaning, yeah. if you're cleaning your bedroom, you're deeply being creative. creative. Yeah. But especially depending on the bedroom. Um, but I, yeah, no, I, 
if you listen to, you know, the great songwriters or especially in music, cause this is what I grew up in too. And, and I used to listen to like, you know, Paul McCartney talk about how he got started writing songs and it was all imitation. Like all they were trying to do was be these old blues players and they do their best imitation. And what he would say is like the imitation would suck. <laughs> and they went through years of it just being like awful. And then they, they sort of turned the corner and all of a sudden that imitation became their own voice, like the, you right. know, what they were doing. And, and I think that that's, that's the same for everyone and everything. Just copy copy it to the best of your ability don't worry about how crappy it is and then one day you'll look right. at it and go oh wow i i really <laughs> i did that i did that pretty well and i think i i think that does start to poke holes into some of the fear um of us you know being judged and that you know that's the vulnerable that's the vulnerable piece yeah. is that we're we're allowing the judgment yeah yeah and i i think that holds us back too from so much peace and so much serenity and so much just like ground like just satisfaction in life because when you're living your life afraid afraid that you're going to be judged or afraid that someone's going to you know take away what's yours you're living like half a life you're living at like 50 percent capacity because you're constantly afraid that the other shoe is going to drop and that's no way to live day by day like it just yeah, yeah. It, it keeps us it keeps us stuck it keeps us from honoring some of the you know some of the energy the tapped in energy that we might it, it stifles our creativity it stifles our willingness to make choices yeah. um yeah and it i think and it also affects interpersonal relationships because we're afraid to be honest about what we're feeling we're afraid to be honest about not feeling like we're adequate Oh, and what a painful thing to see. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and one of my favorite podcasts, just two weeks ago, one of my favorite singer-songwriters was on my favorite podcast, and I got to hear them both talk. And I've been listening to the host of this podcast for years. I absolutely love it. And then I was listening to the singer-songwriter. I've listened to him since I was like a kid and love this guy. I think he's a genius in more ways than just music. And when they came on, the singer-songwriter, you could just tell, was so nervous to be on this big podcast. And he just, he never dropped sort of the nervous facade. And the whole time I was just like, no, man, like, just be yourself. Like, don't, don't do it. Like, he was answering questions in weird ways, giggling when he shouldn't have been. It just, it was really painful because you could tell he was just trying his best to be, like, whatever the best version of himself was. And all you wanted on the other end was for him to just be be the person to be yeah, real be the person I to be real you are be the person you are because that's why i liked you in the first place like i don't like this mm -hmm. version <laughs> and yeah, yeah and i just thought i was i think the reason that rubbed me so hard was because how often do i walk into rooms and try and be the best version of myself that i think other people want when really no one's asking for that and when i do that i'm not actually being true to myself so i'm living against as we talk about living against my values <laughs> i'm not being honest i'm not being in it and i'm living in dissonance and i leave feeling exhausted that's the true test like i leave feeling like i just had to put on a show that no one was asking for and because we let fear win mm. and it's it's it, it's hard i'm not saying it's easy it's difficult for people because a lot of times we do recognize um 
areas in which we could probably do better, you know, and, but I think that's important too, you know, I was, you know, talking to a client today, um, who was really struggling with, he was at a treatment center, he was really struggling with the administration today, and they got into a bit of a, um, of a, of a match, you know, a discussion, and, uh, and I encouraged him, I said, I said, you know, um, you and I are doing values work. We're doing spiritual work. And I said, uh, what would you think about um, taking a look at your values and seeing the discussion you had with this administration person through the lens of your values? And I said, do you, do you feel like, um, how do you feel like that looks? He said, not really very good. And, uh, and I said, so... Why don't you, what do you, what would you think about going back and, and, and owning up to that with the person that you had the discussion? He said, well, I don't disagree with anything that I said. And I said, we're not talking about whether you disagree with anything you said. I said, did you raise your voice? Did you yell at him? He said, yeah. And I said, is that, is that who you want to be? Did that feel right for you? He said, no. He said, so own that. That's the part you get to own. And you get to be vulnerable and say, you know what? I raised my voice. I was, um, I, I was angrier than um, I probably should have been, given the situation. And I want to let you know that I'm working on that. And he, he looked at me and he goes, I can do that? I said, yeah. And that's, that's you being truthful. It's the truth, right? He said, yeah, it's the truth. And I said, so why would you not go tell him the truth? And then he, he had every reason in the world why he wouldn't want to do that. He said, well, what if he gets into an argument with me? That's not why you're there. You're there to clean up your side of the street. You're there to, cl to own what you're working on. Let him know that, you, that you're working on stuff. It was a really powerful moment for him. And he looked at me and I could see his eyes welling up with tears. And I said, this is... This, this situation was giving you an opportunity to grow. And uh, transformation is painful. Transformation is painful. <laughs>